Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. So if you happen to be flying over uh, the Hampton Lumber Forest between Grand Ronde and Wilhelmina, Oregon, sometime in the fall, and you look out your window down towards the forest, you might just see a giant smiley face in the trees. Here's an image of it. That's because back in 2011, David Hampton and Dennis Creel, they planted these large trees in the middle of a forest filled with Douglas firs. And they planted these trees in the shape of this giant smiley face. And, and because Douglas firs stay green all year long and, and these large trees change colors when it's fall, every fall you can see this giant smiley face in the trees. Now, as we think about this smiley face being smack dab in the middle of this forest, these, this smiley face being smack dab in the middle of these trees, uh, unless this is a planned trip for you to go and see these trees, this really is an unexpected place to, to find this smiley face. This is an unexpected place to find this image of joy. So we're in a series right now titled Undeniable Joy. And as we're going through this series, we're simply walking through the book of Philippians. So let me just pause right here and remind you once again of our working definition for biblical joy. Joy is that good feeling of peace, happiness, and contentment that comes from the spirit that is at work within us, regardless of the circumstances that are at work around us. Let me say that again. Joy is that good feeling of peace, happiness, and contentment that comes from the spirit that is at work within us, regardless of the circumstances that are at work around us. So what that means is that if you've given your life to Christ then you have received the Spirit because we're not referring to our own spirit and we're not referring to some mystical spirit. We're specifically referring to the Holy Spirit that is given to all believers upon the point of our salvation. And so if you've given your life to Christ, then you have this Spirit at work within you to produce joy in your life even when the circumstances of your life may not be in and of themselves joyful. But what this also means is that if you have not yet given your life to Christ, then that's your first step today. Because apart from giving your life to Christ, apart from knowing Jesus as the Lord of your life, apart from receiving this spirit, you will not be able to walk in this biblical joy that we're referring to as, we, as we're going through this series now, as we think about joy from this biblical perspective, what this means is just like this smiley face that's smack dab in the middle of the tree, smack dab in the middle of this forest, right? Just like this image of joy is found in this unexpected place, when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, because we've given our lives to Christ, we can find joy even in the unexpected places, because we've given our lives to Christ, even in, even in these unexpected places, we can find joy. 
Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church while he is in prison, while he has been locked up for sharing the gospel. And I don't know about you, but prison is not the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about joy. All right, if you were to ask me, Pastor Kevin, where can I go to find joy? My first response would probably not be go to prison, right? Get yourself locked up and you will find joy there. Probably not going to be my, my first response. But that's exactly what we see here in the book of Philippians. As Paul is writing this letter, even in prison, in this unexpected place, Paul is filled with so much joy. So let me just pause right here and say this. For the believer, because of Christ, you can expect to find joy in the unexpected places. For the believer, because of Christ, you can expect to find joy in the unexpected places. And we're going to see that uh, at work in our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 21 through 30 today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. Now, as you're turning there, what I want to do is I want to take you back to verse 20. That's the last verse that we looked at last week. In verse 20, Paul says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And I want to highlight that, that phrase, Christ will be highly honored in my body. That's the way the CSB translates it. The NIV translates that word honored as exalted. But I really like the way the New King James Version translates this verse. It says, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. So did you know that the magnifying glass was actually invented in the year 1250 AD by an English philosopher with the name Roger Bacon? Can I just say, what a name, Bacon, right? A BLT sounds really good right now. So this English, English philosopher, Roger Bacon, he, he invented the, the magnifying glass with the desire to provide scholars that had failing eyesight with the ability to see clearly so that they could continue their studies, so they could continue learning. As we read Paul's words here, his desire is that Christ would be magnified in his body whether by life or by death, that, that his life would be a magnifying glass so that anyone that, that would see him, that they wouldn't see Paul more clearly, but, but as they saw Paul, that they would see Christ more clearly, that, that when people looked at Paul, that they would see past Paul or, or that they would see through Paul, that, that whether he was living for Christ or whether he was dying for Christ, that people would be able to see Christ more clearly, that people would be able to learn more about Christ. So let me just pause right here and say this. For the believer, our lives should be a magnifying glass for others to see Christ more clearly. For the believer, our lives should be a magnifying glass for others to see Christ more clearly. When others look at our lives, whether it's in a good time or whether we find ourselves in the midst of a struggle, much like Paul here in prison, our desire and our chief goal should be that, that it's not our lives that, that are exalted, that's not our lives that, that are being highlighted, but that Christ would be exalted, that, that Christ would be 
magnified in our life, whether in life or whether in death, that Christ would be magnified. And when Christ is magnified, he will be honored. So last week we ended with this desire from Paul that that his hope is that Christ would be highly honored in his body, whether by life or by death. And as we pick up in our passage this morning, we're going to see that Paul is really continuing that thought. With that in mind, let's read our passage now. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. It says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in your faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Now, as we look at this passage today, I want to begin by highlighting what what Paul says there in verse 21. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, much of what we're going to talk about today as we walk through this is living, But before we do, I want to highlight the second part of what Paul says there when he says, to die is gain. Now, many times when we think about death, we think about death in terms of loss, right? We might say that they lost their life or I'm sorry for your loss. And quite certainly, if you have lost a loved one, Right then, then there is a real sense of loss in this life. There is a real sense of pain that we experience. It's deep inside of us. And so I don't want to minimize uh, those feelings uh, of grief that we might experience at times, but I want you to understand, for those that have believed, for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, when, when, when we die, it is not a loss. Rather, when we die, for the believer, our death is a 100% gain. I put this on Facebook this last week. But if we truly believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, as he says he is, if we truly believe this, then for the believer, we never truly die. We simply get a new address. We simply change locations. And so for the believer, our death in this world is not a loss. It is a gain. But what is it that we gain in our death? What is this gain that Paul is referring to when he says to die is gain? Is it that we no longer will have pain and sickness and suffering in this world? Is it that our struggle with sin is going to be finally over? Is it that we're going to get to see our loved ones that have placed their faith in Christ, that we're going to get to see those loved ones again? 
What is our gain that, that Paul is referring to? I want you to know while all of those are benefits of our salvation, right? We will no long, longer have pain and suffering and sickness in heaven. We, we're no longer going to have to struggle with sin. And yes, we will get to see our loved ones again that have gone on before us in the Lord. I want you to understand that, that while others, those are benefits of our salvation, that's not our gain. Our gain, when we die, our gain is that we get to be in the eternal presence of Jesus forever. Our gain is Jesus. I'm reminded of a song that was written back in 1977 called, I Bowed on My Knees and Cried Holy. I loved this song as a kid. Some of you may know this song. It's written from the perspective of a, a person that dies and is being welcomed into heaven. This is what this, the second verse says. As I entered the gates of that city, my loved ones all knew me well. They took me down the streets of heaven. Such scenes were too many to tell. I saw Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac talk with Mark and Timothy. But I said, I want to see Jesus because he's the one who died for me. He's the one who died for me. Church, I want you to understand, when we die, our gain, our gain is not our loved ones. Our gain is not our healing. Our gain is not the streets of gold or the saints of old. Those are all great things, but those are not our gain. Our gain is Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, there would be absolutely no heaven for you or for me. Our gain is Jesus. And so we see in verse 23 this longing from Paul to depart, to go and, and to be in the presence of Jesus, to go and to be with Christ. And he knows this is a real possibility that he could lose his life in heaven, that he would go and, and be in Christ's presence. But he also has this belief that he's probably going to keep on living, that, that Christ is probably going to continue to allow him to live because his mission in this world was not yet done, because, because God's desire was for him to continue living so that he could keep on proclaiming the gospel. And so as we continue to walk through this passage today, we're going to talk about three things that the gospel does for us as we live. Not after we die, but, but what the gospel does for us as we live. So what are these three things that the gospel does for us? Well, first... The gospel gives us a reason to live. The gospel gives us a reason to live. Let's read verses 22 through 24 again. It says, Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. The gospel gives us a reason to live. Uh, another way to say this would be to say that you were created on purpose and with a purpose. You were created on purpose and with a purpose. So did you know that the, that word planets, like the planets in the sky, that word planets comes from the Greek word planin, which means to wander. And uh, the reason why it comes from that is because before uh, astronomers realized that that stars were actually orbiting the sun, they had this belief that, that stars were just out there wandering the sky with no real purpose and no real order. 
I want you to understand, we were not created to just be a wandering people. We were created on purpose and with a purpose. And the purpose isn't simply to orbit the S-U-N sun. Our purpose was to bring glory to the S-O-N sun. Our purpose is to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Another way to say this would be, we were created to know Christ and to make him known. We were created to know Christ and to make him known. So if we were created to know Christ, then how is it that we can know Christ? Through the gospel. The gospel tells us how we can know Christ because what the gospel tells us is that before we come to Christ, we have all sinned, every single one of us. We have all fallen short of the glory or the perfection, the holiness of God. Our sin separates us from that holy God, and it also requires death. But God, in his great love for us, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on a cross, to take that penalty that we deserve upon himself. He died on that cross. He was put in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again victorious. And anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord, anyone who believes what Scripture says about Jesus to be true, anyone who will confess Jesus as Lord, Scripture says they will be saved. The gospel tells us how we can know, know Jesus. So we were created to know Christ, but we were also created to make Christ known. So how is it that we can make Christ known? Once again, the answer is through the gospel. You see, if the gospel has come to you, if you have heard the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again, and you personally have called out on the name of the Lord to save you, to forgive you, to redeem you, to transform you, if the gospel has come to you and you have responded to the gospel, then now there's a call on your life. We know this calling as the Great Commission. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you've given your life to Christ, then just as the gospel has come to you, then you are called to take the gospel to others. Paul understands, man, it would be far better to die he wouldn't have to deal with prison anymore. He wouldn't have to deal with struggling or suffering anymore. And bottom line, he would get to be in the presence of his Savior for all eternity. Paul knows, man, it would be better to die. But if the Lord was going to allow him to keep on living, it would be so that he could continue to proclaim the gospel, so that he could continue to advance the gospel, and so that he could continue to encourage the Philippian church to do the same. So we think about our own lives, certainly going into the presence of Jesus to be with him for all eternity, to not have the struggles in this world, to not have the suffering in this world, to be with our Savior face to face, certainly that would be far better. But if the Lord allows us to keep on living, and for however long he might allow us to keep on living, I want you to understand the gospel gives us a reason to live. If you're alive today, which as I look around the room, there's about 95% of you that are alive right now. 
right? Now there's a hundred, all right? So if you're alive today, then I want you to understand you were created on purpose and with a purpose, and that purpose is to know Christ and to make him known. So the gospel gives us a reason to live. Second, the gospel gives us a new way to live. The gospel gives us a new way to live. Let's look at verses 27 through 28 again. It says, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and, and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. The gospel gives us a new way to live. So just a few weeks ago, Palmer and Katie were still citizens of Fort Worth. They, they were North Texans. They were city folk. But now they live here in Stockdale. And so if you didn't see this on Facebook a couple of Fridays ago, I want to show you this picture of Palmer at the pep rally. <laughs> now that's a Stockdale Brahma if I've ever seen one, right? Looking at that picture, you wouldn't even know that, that Palmer, just a few weeks ago, was still a citizen of Fort Worth because now he has completely embraced the purple. Right? He has embraced, yeah, amen. He, he's embraced the pep rallies. He's embraced the volleyball games. He's embraced the, the football games. He's no longer a citizen of Fort Worth. He has a new citizenship. He is a citizen of Stockdale. So let me just pause right here and say this. If you have given your life to Christ, you have a new citizenship. If you have given your life to Christ, you have a new citizenship. Paul gives this a reminder to the Philippian church that because they've given their lives to Christ, they're no longer citizens of this world. Now they are citizens of heaven. And what he's saying is that this new citizenship should impact how they live. Now, in some translations, that, that phrase, citizen of heaven, is translated into one word, the word conduct. But the, what the Greek actually means is to live as a citizen. Essentially, what it's talking about is the proper conduct of a citizen. So really what Paul is saying here is that the conduct of our lives will be reflective of our citizenship. The conduct of our lives will be reflective of our citizenship. For the unbeliever, it should be no surprise if the conduct of their life is reflective of their citizenship in this world. It should be no surprise if an unbeliever is acting like an unbeliever. It should be no surprise if a sinner is sinning. We shouldn't be surprised when those that are living as citizens of the world, this world chase after and embrace the things of this world. But for the believer, our lives should be different. Our conduct should be different because if we've given our lives to Christ, then what we are saying is we are now citizens of heaven. And so our desires are going to be different. Now we are saying we desire Christ. We desire the things of Christ. We want to embrace the things of Christ. The conduct of our lives will be reflective of our citizenship 
So let me just pause right here and, and ask, what does the conduct of your life reveal about your citizenship? What does the conduct of your life reveal about your citizenship? Does it reveal that you are embracing the things of this world because maybe you haven't given your life to Christ? Or does it reveal that you are embracing the things of Christ? And if you would say, you know what, quite honestly, my conduct reveals that I am embracing the things of this world because I haven't given my life to Christ. I've never allowed Jesus to be my Lord. And so, yeah, I'm still going headstrong into the things of this world, chasing after the things of this world. If that's you, my desire would be that today God would do something in your heart, that you would have new desires, that you would begin to desire Christ, that, that you would no longer chase after the things of this world, but today you would receive a new citizenship in heaven through Jesus Christ. But if you would say that you are a believer, and you would say, man, you know what? My conduct still shows that I'm chasing after the things of this world. Then to you, I would simply repeat the words of Paul right here. As citizens, as citizens of heaven, you live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't chase after the things of this world any longer, because what you have received in Christ is far greater. So the gospel gives us a reason to live, and the gospel gives us a new way to live. Finally this morning, the gospel gives us a hope and a joy as we live. Let's look at verses 29 through 30 again. It says, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. The gospel gives us a hope and a joy as we live. So Paul says that the Philippian church, they are, they're also experiencing suffering for Christ. They're also enduring the same type of struggle that Paul was in. So what is this struggle that, that the Philippian church is in that Paul is referring to here? Well, the struggle that Paul is referring to is the difficulty of walking in obedience to Christ, the difficulty of proclaiming the gospel when being persecuted and attacked for their faith, the difficulty of walking in obedience when everyone else is against you. We can relate to that at times. There is a struggle. But what he makes clear is that not only has belief in Christ been granted to him, to them, but, but suffering for Christ has also been granted to them. That this struggle has been, in fact, granted to them. Now, this is such a beautiful reminder for us because what this means is that our pain has a purpose. Our pain has a purpose. God is not caught off guard by our suffering. God is not caught off guard by the struggles that we might go to. Rather, they have been granted to us for His glory and for our good. So that even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of the struggles that we might face in this world, that Christ would still be glorified. So that, just as we talked about earlier, that whether in life, or whether in death, that Christ would be magnified in us. 
So back in 1998, or 1988, excuse me, in 1988, a college student by the name of Todd Franklin was working a, a uh, he was filming an antiques show, and he was drawn to this gray ball that looked an awful lot like the Death Star from Star Wars, the movie, right? It looked like uh, this space station from Star Wars. And so he contacted 20th Century Fox, and he was assured that all of the props from Star Wars had been destroyed. And so this, this gray ball was sold off to a country music uh, store, this country music theater called Star World. Well, a few years later, he ran into a, a special effects, a, a props person from the movie Star Wars. And this person told him, no, not everything had been destroyed and that that prop that gray ball was an actual prop used in the movie Star Wars. So he went back to this store Star World. It had been closed down for a little bit and uh and he looked in through the windows and that that gray ball was still in there. The Death Star was still in there being used as a trash can. So here's this Death Star being used for trash and being viewed as trash, and yet it was a great treasure. Many times when we think about suffering in our lives, right, it's viewed as trash. It's something unwanted in our lives. But when we understand that God can use our struggles, that God can use our suffering for His glory and for our good, even though others might see those struggles in our life as trash, we can see it as a treasure. The struggles in our life when used for the sake of the gospel are a treasure in our lives. And when we understand that, when we understand that God can use these struggles, when we understand that God can use our suffering for his glory and for our good, then there is a great hope and a great joy that we can experience in our lives. The gospel gives us a reason to live. The gospel gives us a new way to live. And the gospel gives us a hope and a joy as we live. But as we've talked about the gospel today, the question is, have you responded to the gospel? Have you responded to the gospel having heard that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, that he rose again three days later, and that by calling upon His name and His name alone, there is forgiveness, redemption, salvation, transformation, this new life in Christ. Having heard that today, have you responded to the gospel? And if you haven't, then I want to give you that opportunity to respond this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, this is going to be your opportunity to respond this morning. And if you're here and you would say, that's me, I've never responded to the gospel. I've never allowed Jesus to be my Lord. I am still a citizen of this world. But today, having heard the gospel, I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I'm ready to allow him to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, I would invite you to come this morning. I'm going to be standing down front as we sing. You can join me down here, step out of your seat. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Today, you can receive a new citizenship in heaven. You won't find that from anyone other than Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. 
Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ, but I've never made my faith in Christ public through baptism like Kendall did this morning. If you've never taken that step, listen, we don't believe that baptism saves us, but we do believe that, that it's something that God calls every single believer to do, to confess him in that way. And so if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that step of baptism, then I would invite you to respond as well. Let's talk, let's pray, let's make that commitment together this morning. Now maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ, I've been baptized through immersion, and I've been visiting First Baptist Church Stockdale, and I know that God is calling me to make this my church home, to come and connect my life with this body of believers here, to join First Baptist Stockdale on mission as we continue to proclaim the gospel in this community in our state and around the world. If that's you, then I would invite you to respond as well. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, I would encourage you to respond obediently. Stand with me right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.